Welcome to the Accessible Yoga Podcast, your weekly source for questions and answers around equity in yoga, hosted by Jeevana Heyman and Amber Carnes. Join us each week for powerful conversations with thought leaders at the intersection of justice, knowledge, and practice. Welcome to episode 15. I'm your host, Amber Carnes. In this episode, Jeevana Heyman interviews Hala Kori, yoga teacher and co-founder of Off the Mat Into the World. Hala shares openly about how her own life and experiences led her to the work she does as an activist. She also gives insight into the beginnings of Off the Mat and how the organization came to be. In this conversation, Jeevana and Hala talk openly about how they are each navigating the political climate within yoga spaces. This conversation invites us all to reconnect the roots of yoga to social activism. Hope you enjoy this interview. Here we go. Hey, it's Jeevana. Um, Hey, Hala, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, I really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, I know we're all busy these days. Um, How are things going with, you know, everything, your kids at home still? Yeah, kids are home. You know, I always like to say I feel like I am in this like really lucky, privileged position to get to work from home and have a beautiful home in California, you know, where the weather is perfect except for when there's fires. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So, you know, all things considered, I feel like we have, you know, built a world that is, you know, that is, that is feeling okay. I mean, I, I definitely go through like days of feeling really anxious and like apocalyptic and then days where I feel like I can breathe a little bit. Um, and like, this is an important time for us as a, as a world. (laughs) Yeah, I know it's very intense time with the election coming. And actually, that's one reason I invited you is that, I mean, I I I always love talking to you, but I was just really grateful to see all the ways you're speaking out around the election and about QAnon. Those are kind of, those are the things I was hoping we could talk about today. Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, I've been, it's been really important right now. I mean, I've always been vocal about politics, political views, critical thinking, you know, all those things. And right now it feels like it's, it's coming to a head and we have to be engaging on these topics right now. Otherwise, um, <clears throat> you know, we can continue to feel the, the loss of our democracy. <laughs> right. Yeah. I know. It's so, it feels so crazy to be saying that, but I think it's so true. I mean, it's so yeah. real right now that, um, yeah. yeah, it feels like democracy is in the balance. And I, I don't know, it just... And I, I didn't really ever think we'd get here in my I, lifetime. I, I don't know. know. Me either. I was saying, you know, saying to my 10-year-old the other day, he was asking me, he said, what do you think the future is going to be like? I said, you know, I'm excited for your generation. I said, my generation kind of fell asleep on you all. You know, we thought things <laughs> were just going to like keep just kind of naturally getting better because we were seeing improvements. Um, and I said, you know, at least I'll speak for myself, like I haven't had to live through a huge global crisis or a war or something that would force me to wake up, even though my work is all about waking up and staying awake. But I said in in our generation, a lot of folks, you know, we could get complacent. I said, I don't, I think your generation isn't because they're seeing what happens if we're not, if we're not voting, if we're not paying attention, if we're not making the distinction between disinformation and real information. So I said, I'm kind of excited for your generation because you all are going to be awake is my hope yeah. i know i am excited too to see what my kids can create they're, they're just so much more aware yeah i mean I, I noticed the way they navigate social media already it's so different than adults that i know 
Yeah. They they know like to not put, like they never put their real birthdays in their profiles or their real name or their real location. Like they create social media profiles that are just never like, they don't give away that information. And I was just always surprised by that, but it's like, they just have this inner knowing my son, my son hates having his photo taken in general, but also won't allow me to post it hardly ever on social media, but it's because he wants to protect his privacy. And it's brilliant, right? Now that we're learning more about what's happening with that information, I'm just like, how did they know? Right, right. (laughs) Because they're growing up with it, right? Yeah. Um, Yeah, my my 12-year-old said to me the other day, he's been engaging on his social media politically a little bit more, talking about race and stuff. And he said, you know, Mom, a lot of people, they just go to one extreme or the other and They'll take these memes, and then once you like post a meme, you're sort of stuck in your perspective, and you can't have a conversation. He said, "I'm following the people who are able to actually have a dialogue," and <laughs> and I was like, "Oh my god, you're 12! Like I'm still figuring that out." That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, it, I think it is. I think we're actually the transitional generation. You know what I mean? Like we're the ones who don't know how to handle all this true. Uh, social media. I try to remember that, that yeah. we are the ones in it. For them, it's going to be more navigable because they're going to, they're going to, it's more, it's been normalized to them from a young age. Right. But like not, not in kind of the, I don't think it's such a, um, Apocaly- apocalyptic way like I actually because I think like I watch Social Dilemma and it feels like oh my god we're doomed I know but, we're ruined yeah but, but actually I think in a way that they do know how to navigate it so maybe they can um, just make better choices and yeah. better laws to protect people yeah um, I hope but, so I say either your generation is going to save us or they're just going to be so addicted <laughs> to their devices they don't know what reality is one or the well, that's other. that's true too like my son definitely has an issue with that um, yeah He's actually moving out this week. It's really kind of emotional. He's 19. And oh yeah, so it's gonna it's kind of intense for me, but um, it's it's great. I mean, I'm excited for him that he could like have a life, you know, yeah. without living at his parents' house. So um, mm-hmm. yeah, but I have, a, I have a question I was thinking about you and I don't, I'm curious about your, like your past and your, this um, activist side, like where does that come from with you? Because I, I know you helped found off the map, but like, mm-hmm. were you doing activist political work before that or, or not? Yeah. You know, I was in my own way. I mean, I think that I've always um, had a cause and it might be just coming from, you know, escaping Beirut because of the war and having my roots in political violence. Uh, but honestly, How old were you then when you, when I you... was three, we left in um, 76. So I was three when we left because of the war. Um, and so I think that for sure, just my own, you know, just my own birth country and that whole region um, would politicize anybody. But I, but, but, growing up, I think a lot of my activism honestly came out of my own personal quest to figure myself out, figure out my family. Um, I, I always had a cause, whether it was feminism or vegetarianism. You know, mm-hmm. um, it wasn't always political, and I think that. It, it became more political later on in my life. But yeah, prior to starting off the mat, I was teaching these yoga and activism workshops. I hadn't met Sean. I didn't know she was doing that work. I didn't know Suzanne was doing that work. Um, mm. I was doing that for a few years, um, helping people figure out their, you know, their purpose and, and how they might get more engaged. Um, and you know, I think my activism has always been around culture change, you know, getting people to think about the world in a way that includes the broader context. 
And, you know, and, and I think that like early on in my teaching career, we're not that early on, but about 20 years ago, I started working with incarcerated and system involved youth. And that gave me a, a more of a direct experience in the United States of how oppression operates, um, seeing these young kids that were being criminalized for their behavior. So, the, you know, the two, you know, yoga and politics and activism, yeah. you know, were, became entrenched from those experiences. And, and I know you probably talked about this a lot, but how did Off The Mat actually get started then? Did you just meet them? And So, well, it's really interesting. Off The Mat was originally a project of, an, of a nonprofit called the Engage Network. So Marianne Manilov and Elisa Hauser started the Engage Network, which was a nonprofit that was um, working with Julia Butterfly Hill around environmental uh-huh. activism. Uh-huh. And they were wanting to do political social change work, movement building work. And they, you know, it's, it's so ironic. Um, they were studying how, you know, what they were aware of was how the right is super organized. You know, the right is really organized politically and socially, but the left, we're like fighting with each other. We, you know, yeah. we're not as organized and we can't mobilize as quickly as the right. So they started stu- studying what are some of the strategies that the right has to organize their people. And what they found was, it was really about grassroots. It was about building the grassroots, getting people connected. So when few people felt connected with each other around a cause, they would, you know, if you needed to vote out or you needed to raise money, you could light up an entire network of people who were connected via these grassroots networks. So they they started to um, they wanted to build a grassroots movement in for progressive folks, and they picked the yoga yoga communities as one place to start because a lot of yoga folks identify as progressive. At least they did back then. <laughs> that is changing now. So they had this model they were doing with. Julia, where she was like what they would call their social champion. She would go out, be the inspiring speaker, get people excited. And then they would build these grassroots building campaigns around her work, where after Julia would do an event, people could sign up and be part of these small groups of 12 or less, where they would go deeper into the topic, build ties with each other, maybe do some community engagement. and so they wanted to do that with some yoga leaders, and they went to a bunch of visible yoga teachers. They went to Sean Korn, Shiva Ray, and they said, "You know, we'd like to we'd like to do this work with you." And um, and Sean and Shiva, I'd known here in the LA yoga community. I was not like a super visible teacher. I didn't do conferences or have a you know big mailing list or anything. But they both knew the work I was doing. They knew I was working with incarcerated youth and and working with yoga teachers locally. So they both said, you know, you gotta, you've got to talk to Hala. And so uh, they came to me, and, um, and I was thrilled because I was ready to do something different. I was in private practice when teaching was yoga. That? This what? was in uh, 2006. Um, and I was in private practice, almost full-time, and teaching yoga, private practice doing you know, trauma work and therapy. And so uh, they asked me to help build a curriculum to do this grassroots, to get people together in small groups, um, around activism and yoga and uh that's when i really heard about what sean was doing and and sean introduced me to suzanne and so we built this curriculum called yoga in action together that was meant to and still does we have about you know two to three hundred groups around the country who they get a curriculum they go through the seven week process together doing shadow work embodiment learning about social justice maybe even doing a community project together Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really the the origin of Off the Mat was we were meant to be part of this larger movement building initiative. 
Um, now it grew into something else. We also then started adding these in-person intensives and the, the save a challenge trips. It just sort of took on a life of its own. And eventually we became our own nonprofit, but our roots are really in organizing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I loved watching it grow. Um, yeah. And you know, I, I just feel like, well, you touched on a lot of things that maybe <laughs> that brought up uh, questions for me. Well, one is this, what you're going back to this idea of community organizing grassroots and how much better the right has been. And, and what I saw you do around this kind of uh, emergence of QAnon and the yoga community is like, I think you activated your community. It seemed like yeah. you, you and Sean, I think it was really put yeah. together like this strong statement. And um, I was just, it was so incredible to see you do that and, um, and the impact it made. I mean, it was covered everywhere. And yeah. 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 It was powerful. Well, Ashad and I did not create that statement. Um, yeah. uh, other people did. And we're, we're right now we're maintaining anonymity just because we don't want specific people because unfortunately folks get targeted when they're public mm-hmm. about this. Mm-hmm. But actually what happened was a group of us and, and Jeevan, I think you were even part of that Facebook group. Like a group yeah. of us were trying to support each other in creating messaging that was, you know, pro-science combating disinformation, getting people to vote Trump out of office, right? So we were all together in community having this conversation. And then a couple of folks from that community, I was actually, it was my assignment. I said, we need to write a statement. Um, And and it wasn't even going to be specific to Q. It was going to be a broader statement. And then a couple of people from the community offered this statement. We were like, wonderful, let's start with this. And, and it's exactly that. There's a community of us already who had built trust, um, who knew each other. And so that's how it spread. You know, it was like, this is what we're going to get behind. And the community just did it. And then, yeah, it was picked up by all these publications. And actually, we're going to be rolling out more stuff. I mean, there's a, there's a group of folks that are really dedicated to creating messaging for people who are in the wellness yoga communities to help them uh, to help them think critically and to share information that's more in alignment with our values and, frankly, more in alignment with the truth. That's awesome. I'm so glad. I mean, I, um, yeah, I, I just, I love seeing that. I, I feel like it's really been lacking. There's, you know, there's a lot of assumptions made about the yoga community, you know, that most, like, like you said, like we kind of, I assumed that most people were progressive, but it's just so clear over the last few years, but, you know, during Trump that it's just not the case. I mean, even before QAnon, I just seen so many things that are, that are, I don't know, just, um, disturbing, you know, within our community, um, yeah, defending sure. abuse and things like that, you know, so um, it's just great to see some organized efforts that are just like truly political, because that's, that, that is really my, my passion. I mean, I try to, I try to find that balance, you know, in my community where I don't, I don't want to push people into believing anything, but I also want to be clear that, you know, to me, social justice issues aren't a matter of choice. Exactly. Uh, it's, a, it's not a matter of, yeah, it's not a matter of political um, party or anything like that. These are basic human rights. And and, the, and I think there's so much confusion between those two things, you know? Yeah, uh, I agree. And I think it's like, I think that like, what's being revealed as we're watching folks who practice yoga, meditate, you know, are concerned about, you know, eating healthy or the environment. I think we're seeing the shadow side of like, a paradigm that's ultimately potentially individualistic and yeah. also um, uh, 
dehistoricized, right? Like not thinking, mm. not knowing about our history. And so, mm -hmm. so much of the work so many of us have been doing for like the last decade, right? We're seeing now what happens when we're not investigating our own social location, our own um, sense of like, what does freedom mean? I, I Somebody posted something online and it said, freedom is something we do together. It's not something mm. we do on our own, right? So yeah. it, I think it's the individualism that is causing folks who want like body sovereignty, right? Sovereignty over my body versus like, what does it mean to be well together? And then that's pushing folks into a, into voting for Trump, quite frankly, right? Mm, I know, like that leap just, I mean, I, the whole thing's always bothered me, this kind of obsessive, I don't know, self-care versus yeah. community care problem within, yeah. within the yoga community. But like that leap to being a Trump supporter, I yeah, just- Yeah, it's a big one, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, there's so much gray beyond like, wanting to figure out how to take care of your body. Like if you don't want to wear a mask, fine, but how does that lead you to like think Trump is your savior? You know, it's, you know, but I, I also think that like, you know, as a, as a trauma specialist, I also understand that when we're in trauma, there's, there's, it's very hard to like have nuance, right? To have a nuanced perspective. And when we're in trauma and uh, the world feels a lot more black and white, a lot more binary, um, and it's really hard. And we're in such a collective trauma right now. People are so scared and I get it. Um, yeah. And so I think that like it's easier to take sides and have something to fight for and fight against. I, I do the same thing. I mean, I, I'm yeah. doing my own version of that inside myself. And I've been yeah. really examining that lately, um, how I'm perpetuating that. Um, mm, kind my of own in the duality, like... Um extreme thinking or like black and white yeah thinking. yeah and like a really low tolerance for people who don't have my same views i see uh, okay. or who might like indicate that their views are not exactly like mine i can feel it in my nervous system right somebody can like say something that's not an exact alignment and i can feel myself get hot and i want to shame them and make them wrong and i'm like yeah. wow like i'm now part of the problem um, yeah well like i saw a, a yoga teacher who i who I love and I've known for many, many years, um, was posting kind of QAnon light. I think they're calling it pastel QAnon. Oh, interesting. <laughs> That's the term I've heard now for the kind of, you know, yoga-fied QAnon. Um, and it, I, it's funny because it just, it kind of blew my mind because I think it was that. It was about how oh, she was saying, I can't even remember exactly, but it's like she's saying how, you know, yoga allows us to see through the veil kind of like, yeah. you know, that we don't have to just buy into this reality, that there's other realities. So it's like somehow QAnon is like taken that to mean that um, question science, question all, I don't know what, like rational thought. <laughs> I don't know. Right. Um, right. It's so unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I think that that's where, again, like uh, that nuance and even just education, like not everybody has that privilege to have, I mean, this is like what I've studied I'm literally getting a PhD in community psychology, like investigating and decolonizing yeah. education. Right. So I have the privilege of like having access to information that can help me understand, you know what we should, we can be critical of science, right? We can be critical of the fact that corporate interests might start what might might um, corrupt certain scientists or corporate yeah. interests might want to want to um, want to shut down certain studies or racist interests might create mm. interpretations or fake science right so 
a lot of harm has been done in the name of science, but the right. problem isn't the science because that's bad science or non-science, right? Mm. The problem is capitalism and racism, right? So science, and I'm using air quotes here, used is, is what was used to justify enslaving black bodies, right? Oh, their brains yeah. were smaller. They're not as human. They need to be um, enslaved. So but that's not science. It's actually racism, right? Dressed up like science. Real science, good science, is what debunked that, right? Mm-hmm. So it's that critical thinking of like a hundred percent. We, you know, we want to look at the way corporate interests or racism or bias impacts. What questions are we asking in science? Who are we studying? You know, most science, most studies, for example, on in medicine, we're done on on men and white men, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're if you're a female or a person of color, you know if you have a different biology, maybe some of these results don't apply to you, right? But that's not the fault of science. Science has to keep correcting itself and evolving, and I think that's confusing to people. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I um, I I. There's an echo right now. I don't know if that's. Oh, I don't hear it on my side. Oh, okay, good. Um, I was going to say I saw something about QAnon that some that the people behind it are actually they think are actually um, child pornographers. No way. <laughs> yeah, that they've actually identified this one guy in particular. I can't remember his name, but I mean you can look it up. Yeah. It just it it kind of made me. Um, I mean it's heartbreaking, but it kind of made me laugh because I feel like that's the way that's what I see Trump doing too, which is to accuse other people of what you do. You know, like there's this, I don't know what it is, a type of manipulation. Um, I don't know. I don't understand it. It's it's very overwhelming. Okay. But I did have a question. You mentioned uh, how the yoga community has kind of forgotten the historical roots. Um, I, I think, I think where you were headed with that thought was like how, I mean, forget me, I mean, forgive me if I misunderstood you, but like that yoga has always been about social justice and there has been this movement of, like community awareness and um, compassion for the other that's at the heart of what we're doing. And that feels like that's been lost in, instead we're focused so much on individual self. Is that what you're. It it was twofold. It was a, that, you know, Western yoga has often fallen under the guise of, you know, fitness, right. And individual well-being. So it's used as a, almost as a sport, right. So it's, it's not connected to the historical roots of yoga, um, and um, in terms of the conspiracy theories, when people are saying, oh, my gosh, there is, you know, this conspiracy by this global elite to whatever the theory is to say, no, no, actually, there's a history of oppression that people have been fighting against for generations. Like the conspiracy is white supremacy and capitalism and neoliberalism. Right. The conspiracy isn't this you know, group of people trying mm-hmm. to manipulate us and microchip us. And that's what, what I was actually talking about is like, mm-hmm. um, you know, you don't see folks who've been doing social justice work falling for QAnon because we know what the conspiracy is. It's baked yeah. into our systems and our culture. <laughs> it's not something that some people are just discovering right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I think is sort of a naive view. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's amazing. I agree. I, I mean, my background is in AIDS activism. And I remember back during the Reagan years, because that's when I got started. I mean, mm-hmm. Reagan was like, he was like Trump light. Mm-hmm. And basically mm-hmm. just was constantly lying to the American people and just not addressing 
what was really happening on the ground. I mean, didn't mention the word AIDS until like six years into the epidemic. Wow. I mean, it just was like not, he wasn't concerned and didn't even have to speak about it. Like it just, um, like that was a conspiracy to me. You know, the fact that the, the federal government could just completely ignore the lives and the death of, at that point, thousands of mostly gay men. Um, based almost completely on homophobia and kind of the fact that the government at that point was kind of taken over by the Christian conservative evangelical Mm -hmm. movement. And Mm -hmm. they thought that gay men deserved to die, basically. Right. Um, So, yeah, that's a that's a conspiracy. Right. And it's not a conspiracy because homophobia, again, is like baked into our systems. Right. It's not people Mm -hmm. consciously deciding to do this. It's it's so insidious, right? And then we see these very blatant manifestations of it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, but I, I love this idea of, um, and maybe it's just where I'm at, because I'm, I'm working on a book right now, actually, and my second yeah. book, and it's really about this question of the yoga teachings and how they can be used more in understanding compassion, connection, and social justice as mm-hmm. essential parts of what we are doing not mm-hmm. something that we are reimagining right now, but actually it's the root of what the teachings are about, which is about mm-hmm. um, our you know, interconnectedness, not our separation. And, um, mm-hmm. and so I, I feel like, actually, I, I saw uh, Sean's post when she posted that statement, it was really incredible to me to see the comments and the anger, oh, yeah. and not just from Trump people, but I think from people who, like sincerely don't think of yoga as politics. I think that you can separate it out somehow. Yeah. Um, it was just really, it showed me there's just, yeah, a lack of understanding. And I think, like you said, maybe it's because of what we've been doing yoga as like a physical practice primarily. And we've mm-hmm. disconnected from the, the roots of the practice. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think it's also, what do people define politics as it's not just about what candidate are you voting for Mm. it's a system that decides who has access to the resources they need to be well um so maybe it's also about redefining what what we think politics is and so people and especially you know if you carry a lot of privilege um culturally and politically politics might not impact you political changes you you might be buffered against them right but the less privilege you carry the more directly you are going to feel the impact of political changes you know your health care your housing your job opportunity and so i think people that you know are really proximate to resources can feel like politics don't impact them as much because frankly they probably probably doesn't Right. It's a privilege to say that. Um, yes. Really, everything is political um, when you're marginalized. I mean, yes. yeah, because your your life depends on that. You know, yeah. I saw something around a post around the Supreme Court um, and, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's death and something about like, you know, if you're if some if your life hasn't been directly impacted in a way um, by a recent Supreme Court decision, then you don't know what it's like to be marginalized. And you know, I just know that, you know, I remember just for me, like as a gay man, the whole fact that um, gay marriage became legal and, um, you know, my relationship with my husband after, like we'd already been together for 20 years at that point. Mm -hmm. And just that shift and just, in fact, I remember when we first got together, um, 
we had talked about marriage and then we both were like laughing about it because it just seemed like so like not possible in those days, Mm -hmm. the Reagan Bush years. But, um, you know, then to have that given to us and then to think, wow, that could actually maybe be taken away again. Like it's just, it's just incredible that basic kind of right to be in relationship with each other. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, unfathomable. And you're right. I think, you know, again, I I think a lot of us assume things were just going to generally keep improving. Yeah. yeah. So what else can we do? I mean, I feel like you've done so much, but um, it sounds like you're doing some more organizing um, around politics. And, but what else, what else, like, do you have, I don't know, advice for people in the yoga community that, um, you know, want to make this, this connection with yoga and social justice, who want to keep... Um, stay more true to the teachings and are compassionate. Yeah. You know, I think I always say to people, you know, try to find your piece. You know, if we think we have to do all the pieces, we're not going to do anything. Um, Try to find your piece. You know, for me, my piece is training, educating, and as a public figure, creating messaging and supporting other public figures to like, to be public about these views. Um, you know, I, I feel guilty that I'm not like phone banking and calling people and texting people, but that's not my piece. You know, I, I've mm-hmm. got two kids at home. My, my partner's not home. He's working in New York right now. And I, I actually don't, it's not the best use of my time, even though I still feel a tinge of guilt. And like, I'm a fraud when I hear about people like doing mm-hmm. the phone banking, hours, <laughs> you know, but I'm like, you know, what? I'm going to just, if I do that piece, then I won't have time for this other piece. And so, you know, I, I think I want everybody to think about what their piece is. Um, and just do your piece really well, right? Some of you, you know, if you're really struggling, your piece is just to like keep yourself alive, right? Like keep yourself well. And, and if, you know, especially folks that are marginalized, dealing with chronic illnesses, you know, don't have access to what they need, it's a full-time job just to be taking care of yourself. So then that's your piece. If your life is such that you have extra money on your hands or extra time or extra energy, then use your energy to address these issues, you know, think about what your piece is going to be. Um, if you have family members that hold harmful political views, build relationship with those folks. Don't shame them. Don't cancel them. If you have the energy, engage them, ask them questions. Um, so I think it's about, you know, we all have different pieces to do and vote, please vote, vote for Biden specifically. Uh, yeah, We all can do that piece. We all have that. Everybody can do that piece, but yeah. also look at, you know, look at the, you know, the local elections and who, you know, who we need to get into local office. Cause right now I think a lot of, a lot is going to be, you know, that's such an important part of our election as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's beautiful. I love that to your piece. It reminds me a bit of the Bhagavad Gita, you know, because there's the Gita talks about, um, you know, do your Dharma and, mm-hmm. and, it's, it's real easy to make the connection between the Gita and this kind of the, the war that's happening right now, like this battle that's raging. And, you know, I don't, I don't want to use the Gita as like a analogy for this direct situation, like as an excuse, you know, you don't want to use like a religious text as an excuse for war, um, even if it's a just war. But I think what we can look at the Gita for is this, this issue about what is your individual role Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and how, and, and, and the other thing that the, the Gita says so clearly is you can't not act like you're always acting. Right. There's, there's no time when the body, like when the body and the mind aren't doing something. Mm-hmm. Um, so just, it's not by sitting back. That's a choice. Like sitting back yeah. and doing nothing is a choice. Yeah. Um, that's that an is action. acting. 
that's an action yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah. It's actually supporting the status quo. So, so not acting, so not mm-hmm. voting, I think, for example. I think about it sometimes like in 2016, like I think people didn't really support Trump, but maybe not enough people went out and voted for Clinton. So we ended up with Trump. You know, it's like that was by not voting, they were actually voting for Trump. Exactly. Um, and then you see where we end up because of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there is no neutral. Absolutely. There's no neutral. And I think that's in the Gita. So that's what I guess what I'm curious about again, is just really exploring that, like the ways that we can connect back to these teachings and see that there's this tremendous um, support for this work, for this action, this um, out of love, you know, love and caring for each other. Uh, in the Gita, it talks about how, you know, it's almost like there's different levels of enlightenment. First, there's this like an individual enlightenment that you become aware of your true self. And then when you get further enlightened, you actually start to feel the pain and pleasure of others as your own. Mm-hmm. And right. I love that. Let the world yeah. into your heart more. Yeah. yeah. It's like, actually, that's more advanced. Like to actually care for others is the highest form of yoga practice, you know? Yeah. 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 And I think that like, especially these days, because politics is so polarized, it's like it's become like a bad world word. And mm-hmm. you know, I think that there was a time, and you know, mm-hmm. I think I don't know, maybe I'm just too young to remember this, but like where you, like people, you know, people can have poli- different political views and, and be in relationship and basically be holding this healthy tension. You know, the way and I'm not a political scientist, but like the way I really understand, especially the tension between Republicans and Democrats, right? Is Republicans want small government? They want you know communities to take care of each other and individuals to pull themselves up by their bootstrap and take care of each other with minimal government intervention. And Democrats want more government support. And it's like a tension between individualism and community care. Um, Mm. And, you know, maybe, you know, in the past, it was maybe good to have like a dialogue where there was intelligent dialogue about how much government involvement do we want, right? Mm -hmm. Um, How much do we want communities and people to take care of each other? Like that sounds like a healthy conversation, but now it's not a conversation or a dialogue. It's one or the other. Um, Mm. And so talking about politics, I think for many people in these last few years, just means a a fight. Um, Mm. Unless you're talking with somebody with your same views, you're talking with somebody who you can't stand um, or who wants to harm you. Um, Yeah, I know that. I think that's social, social media has kind of, and the the comments and the way people are so mean to each other, it's just made it impossible to have a dialogue online, it seems to me. Yeah, absolutely. And then I think people take it offline, right? Mm -hmm. And we can't tolerate each other. I was just talking to a friend last night who's really been studying and analyzing the impact of this for, for years. I mean, he's not surprised that this moment is happening. And he said, he said, you know, he said, I think the only way to, to stop a civil war is to, to stop Facebook, like for Facebook to literally turn itself off for a couple right. months. And that would just yeah. stop it. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. But I don't think they're going to do that. But I wish. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I mean, there's good things happening on there too. It's just absolutely yeah. there's great it's, stuff too. It's been so divisive, and I I'm afraid. Yeah, I'm afraid of what might happen. Even well, I don't want to share my fears so much, but I mean, I I think that we have to really work on that um, in terms of not backing down from our beliefs, but also not shaming. Like what you said, like I think not shaming other people, being able to have a dialogue with them, be able to communicate with people we disagree with. Like that's the only way to bridge that divide is yeah. to talk and, and yeah. share. 
Yeah, yeah. And I've been really trying to work on how do I do that on social media? How do I engage with the written word where you're not seeing somebody's face, you're not hearing tone? And there's some folks that are very skilled at that. And I think that that's a great antidote to what we're seeing online is compassionate conversations as much as we can. So that's been my work. I'm like, you know, and I and so far, I don't think I've ever said anything on social media. I wouldn't say to somebody's face. And that's kind Uh of my you know? <laughs> yeah, that's a good that's a good um, guideline, right? Is mm-hmm. don't post something you wouldn't say to someone's face. Yeah, uh, I think that's yeah. beautiful. Um, yeah. So tell me what else you're doing. I know you're leading. Are you leading trainings online these days? I am. I'm leading trainings in trauma informed yoga online, and that's actually been lovely. I didn't know if we were going to be able to kind of create the level of intimacy and depth online that we did in person, but. Um, you know, we make sure everybody's on screen and we can see each other's faces and dialogue a little bit more organically. And so we limit the size so everybody can be on screen together. Um, so that's been pretty powerful. I, you know, I've, I'm finishing up my book, which I know, you know, and uh, yes. that's been exciting. It's been a project for the last couple of years. And so that's already available for folks to pre-order. It comes out in April. And so wow. that's something what's I it called? About. It's called um, Peace from Anxiety, Build oh. Resilience, get grounded and stay connected amidst the chaos. So, oh, I'm so excited about that. I have, I have anxiety, so I need that book. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it's, you know, I wish we could release it now because I feel like folks need it now, but um, that's felt really good. And then, you know, I, I have Radical Wellbeing as an online membership community that, again, was in the works before COVID hit. And so the timing was you know, interesting timing when I think people were looking for now, you know, much of our opportunity built community is online. And so that's been really sweet to have a group of folks where we share, I share practices with them. And then we have these monthly meetings where we can all just talk and get to groups and, you know, process and share. So, you know, I've been busy doing that stuff and trying to actually create meaningful virtual experiences for people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been amazed at how effective it is actually to lead trainings online. I really didn't expect that. Um, yeah. Yeah, I just kind of blown away. And, and they're actually more accessible in many ways. Um, it can be less expensive for people. Mm-hmm. They don't have to travel. And mm-hmm. they, can, they can still, you know, do their other thing, like take care of their kids or their yeah. job or whatever, and then participate. And so I feel like it's been just a huge surprise. Yeah, yeah, me. yeah. Just yeah, me too. Me too. And a lot of my work has been actually right now leading um, diversity, equity, and inclusion trainings and working with um, schools and nonprofits. Uh, It's something I've been doing as well for the last few years, more professional development work. Um, And ever since the murder of George Floyd, a lot of organizations that weren't doing anti-racist work are waking up and realizing they need to. So that's been really lovely is to do work with educators and clinicians um, around anti-racism and diversity, equity, and inclusion. So wow, I'm that's busy. amazing. Yeah, you're busy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, you know, I just right now I feel like okay, just universe, like use me. Like how can I best be used? You know, I just feel like wherever I can be used with the skills that I have, I want to lend them and share them. Okay, well, it sounds like you're doing that actually. I am. Um, yeah. And, and actually, that's, again, the Bhagavad Gita. You're doing your dharma, right? You're doing your dharma. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, so, so can people pre-order the book? Is that what you said? They can pre-order okay. the book, yeah. So and and any of the booksellers, you know, Barnes & Nobles, Amazon, their local bookstore, yeah. Okay, and um, so we can put a link in the show notes if you send it to me. Um, okay. 
to pre-order the book. And um, or could you just tell us like for one one minute about the book? Like what's the it's so about anxiety, is, but it sounds like it's anxiety, more. Yeah. I mean the book is I, I like to say is a journal is a journey from individual well being to collective care. So the first four chapters are about trauma, the physiology of trauma, somatic tools to deal with trauma. Then the middle part of the book is all about building connection, you know, our relationships and our community. Um, you know, we can't be well alone. We need each other. Mm-hmm. And then the last part I call uh, cultivating the global heart, how we have to figure out how to let the world into our hearts and practice collective care if we really want to be well. So that's wow. the journey of the book. That's amazing. Yeah, I, just, yeah. I need to read your book before I write, finish writing my book so I can quote you. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I can send you the manuscript if you okay. want. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, anyway, it's so exciting. So, okay, well, thanks so much for spending this time with me and, and for all you do. It's just, I'm always amazed by you and, and your work. Yeah. It's just so exciting to me. Just, uh, I feel the same way about you. I feel this, it's a mutual admiration society here. <laughs> same way about you. Great. And um, yeah, so we'll put some links for people to follow up and find out about you, your trainings and your book. Uh, thanks so much for being here. Have a good day. Thank you for having me, Jivana. All right. Take care. Bye. Thanks for joining us for another week of the Accessible Yoga Podcast. You can check out everything we're doing and get show notes for the podcast over at www.accessibleyogatraining.com. You'll find the podcast where you can subscribe. We'd really appreciate it if you subscribe or if you leave us a review. The reviews are awesome and they really help us understand how we can make it better, what you like, what you don't, what's working, what's not. So please leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts and you can subscribe there too. And please visit AccessibleYogaTraining.com where you can jump on our wait list for the next Accessible Yoga Training course starting in January and also get information about our other upcoming courses and everything that we offer. Thanks for listening to the podcast. We'll see you next time.